There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another day, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode is with Dave McLean of Django Django. And it's a great chat. Um, we talk about all the usual stuff. We talk about oh, some great bands. We talk a lot of hip-hop. We talk a lot of rave music. Uh, and we even talk about some, some early 90s um, indie rock. It's, uh, it's a cracking chat, this one. Before we get on with it, just a few thank yous. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76 for producing this. And just quickly, thank you to you lot. Um, because, you know, throughout the whole of... 2020 you know i've just been kind of pushing 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 this podcast recording 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 and uh and it's been great you know it's been a wonderful distraction from the bananas world we're living in at the moment and you lot have been so supportive and you know when you've seen it on the socials you've given us the likes the loves the shares the retweets and all stuff like that and uh and yeah you're all subscribing away to the podcast which is brilliant so just a, a huge thank you to you lot for uh, continuing to to support the podcast. Um, I really hope you're enjoying it. Um, okay, also, if this is your first time listening uh, to uh, Off the Beaten Track, when you finished uh, my chat with Dave, then um, we talk about Public Enemy, we talk about the Spice Girls, um, we talk about James Lavelle. Uh, I should also say that uh, all of these uh, are previous guests, so um, if you're fans of those, go and have a rummage in the archives because you'll have access to all of them chats as well as Chats. I think we mentioned Fatboy Slim as well. Um, I've done an episode with, with Norman Cook, so go and give that a listen. Um, and yeah, go and have a rummage because there's 200 episodes, you know, featuring, oh gosh, acts as diverse as Chic through to actors such as Maxine Peake. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm not going to keep listing them because there's bloody hundreds now. So just go and get stuck in and go and find one that you recognize and give it a listen. And then uh, better still, just subscribe and then they just pop up on your listening device. If you'd like to support the podcast as well, then um, I do a, a, a Patreon page. I have a Patreon, and what that means is every week I also put up four shows over there, radio-type shows where I play records and, and talk about them. Sometimes I have guests. I put up video episodes over there as well. Um, and that, that costs about 80p a week. So I think you can sign up for like $5 for a month. And... Uh, so if you you know are interested and you enjoy you know some some wonderful creatives talking about their their journey and the songs that have been important on it then um yeah sign up to that it really it really does help because uh, this is a labor of love this podcast and uh, it's a glorious labor of love I should add um but any support um is very very welcome and will be very very much appreciated enough with a waffle just quickly, all of these things you can find out about at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Dave McLean of Django Django. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whippin. Okay, we're recording. Um, how you doing, Dave? Good, thanks. Yes, good. Just kind of uh, pottering about, getting ready for the day ahead still. <laughs> well, what I'm interested in before we start talking records is how you found um, the last, you know, seven, eight months as as both, you know, Dave the human being and, and the creative. You know, how have you found it? 
they're really up and down. I think most people I talk to have the same thing where they're like really motivated for a while and getting loads done and then just hitting a wall and kind of like having to just hibernate for a bit. I mean, I'm talking about folk that are trying to make a record or, you know, be self-motivated. Um, you just kind of seem to go through these waves of getting loads done and then can't be bothered and getting depressed about everything. And then, you know, just trying to ride it out. It's just been pretty mental and weirdly can't sort of remember life before this now. It's kind yeah, of like it's gone that. that far. It's true, isn't it? It's weird. Yeah. So I just can't, you know, when I think about, because we, we're a band that just toured so much, played live so much the last 10 years. And it just feels surreal to remember festivals and stuff now. It's just like, uh, yeah, I can't quite remember what that's like. <laughs> it's it's so weird. Like, I, I, I chat to, you know, so many musicians on this podcast and the resounding kind of opinion that seems to come across is like, how fucking good are them first gigs back going to be? Like, the feeling that the amount of, like, pent-up energy and that the band are going to give the crowd and the same coming back is going to... I just think them first gigs when we're allowed to do it properly, oh, man. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I was talking to our sound engineer, he's up in Liverpool, and... um we were both like, yeah, we'll, we'll never complain about tour schedules again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of like, uh, you know, that um, Twitter thing, DJs complaining, where they just post like uh, folk moaning about the price of press sandwiches at airports and stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's all gone now. Just be uh, chuffed to be back to normal, really, whenever that comes, if it comes next year or whatever. But um I mean, the upside of it, I guess, is more time in the studio and more writing and getting to make music, I, I guess. that's the Which I do love, you know, I love being in the studio. So that's the upside of it at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Right, for track one, I'm going to ask you the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro. I think I said a Prince. Was it Prince, You Got the Look? It was. Um... I don't know why that came to mind first, but it did just pop into my head. And I think it's that cool thing where it has the weird chords and then the drums kick in and then the weird chords and then the drum and, drums and bass kick in. And it's just so prince to have a really, really poppy record and make it weird. You know, it's just yeah. that. I can imagine the record label going, chop that whole bit, you know. Yeah. And Prince going, no. <laughs> That's, you know... Well, Prince is a, a really good kind of example of uh, to, to sort of kind of explain the next question I'm going to ask you. If you look at something like, which a lot of people have chosen actually on this podcast, which is Let's Go Crazy uh, as an intro with the, the whole kind of speech at the beginning, yeah, uh, which which was a single. Um, and so what I want to ask you, uh, which is what I ask all musicians, is over the last sort of, you know, 10, 12 years uh, of, of the band, how have you, in regards to intros, we've seen like, you know, I think for, you know, for music now, radio would not play Let's Go Crazy on daytime radio now anymore because yeah. it doesn't cut to the chase quick enough, which is right. fucking criminal. But what I want to ask you is that over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, how have you... I mean, obviously, the way that people listen to music is very, very different now, you know, to maybe how they did 12 years ago with, you know, with streaming services and things like that. Has that impacted on how you approach making music? Definitely, yeah, because I can never be bothered going through the process of doing the radio edit. And you know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> they're going to come back and go, uh, the singing's got to start within 30 seconds, is it, or something? Um, yeah. So if you have a track that you think is it could be a single, then you kind of well, we 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 did the other thing recently where we, our first single "Spirals" had this really long, really long drawn out intro, and the whole thing was chopped. 
So when I hear it on the radio, it's got this nasty intro where it just cuts into the, the track. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you try and the single we've got at the moment, Glowing in the Darks, built to be on the radio, definitely, with no mucking around. Um, which is good as well, you know. I think we try and do try and do a, a on an album, try and do a mixture of cutting to the chase and weird things. Yeah, but, um, yeah Spotify now they want you to be like really snappy and to the point. And I think it's just the way singles are going; they're just getting shorter and shorter. And um, I think in the next decade, we'll see singles being like a minute and a half, you know. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the, the classic three and a half minutes. Sure. Uh, it's just the way attention spans are going, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Okay, for track two, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah, I think I chose um, the Three Degrees cover of James Gang Collage. You did. Um, and the, the, the album that that's on... Um, I remember getting it because it had a sample on it. I think Fat Boy Slimage is the sample of some strings on it for right here, right now. And um, yeah, this is years and years ago. I remember buying it. Oh, and it, ha- it has um, a track called Funk 49. I think it's called Funk 49 or something. There was a big... Um, sort of that funk record that DJs would play. So it's a great album, but it's got this track collage and I always liked it. But then um, the Three Degrees version I heard, I think it came out in Buddha Records, but I heard it a lot later uh, in life, you know, maybe a, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago. And um, it instantly just was like, this is my favorite record. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Something sort of, a, I think the lyrics are sort of about the changes of season. And that's something that's always been a bit kind of melancholy for me is autumn. That kind of, especially in Scotland, it's that kind of feeling of autumn coming in is quite like a melancholy kind of feeling in a, in a good way. And I think that uh, their version just kind of sums that up a little bit. Yeah. It's not like a sad record, but it's something very emotive about it. What if you had to pinpoint that emotion, what what would it be? I don't know. It's a weird sense of longing for something. It's a sense of kind of something new. And I guess that's the the lyrics about the seasons is kind of like, it's about changing and, you know, letting go of things in the past for new things. And um, that's something that we probably all feel when the seasons come back round again, you know, especially autumn into winter. And as I say, in Scotland, it's like a, it's quite a big, winters up there can be quite heavy. So, you know, you've got that, you've got a lot of time sort of hunkered down and, yeah, but also positives about that. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a kind of, every time I hear it, I, f- I feel a bit like emotional. I don't know. <laughs> also their vocals, you know, are just so beautiful. and The arrangement and everything, just quite epic. So, Whereabouts in, in, in Scotland was, was home growing up, though? Uh, Dundee, sort of Fife, North Fife and Dundee. Okay. And so was that where you went to school? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, yeah, Fife, yeah. Okay, well let's 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 talk school then because for track three, uh, I'm going to ask you to song remind you of your time at school. Uh, did I say Beck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I think this was kind of my last year at school, um, and all through school I was really into um, rave music, I guess, dance music, techno, jungle. Uh, and then in about 95, 96, got really into hip-hop. Um, and then Beck came along with Mellow Gold and was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, it's the kind of weird... It's got hip-hop sensibilities. I think it was produced by the Dust Brothers. Uh, so it's got that kind of Paul's Boutique collage sound. Um it's got that element of sort of almost like slacker kind of lo-fi yeah. as well. It's like so much good stuff on that record. Yeah, mental production-wise, just brilliant. And yeah, the slacker vibe and everything that when you're like 16, 17 is, is very cool, you know. So yeah, we, me and my mates just kind of latched onto those. Mellow Gold and Odelay, you know, just played them to death. and. Um, yeah, I remember we wanted to go, We, me and a couple of mates knew we wanted to go to art college. So we'd spend our last couple of years at school just in the art department all the time, just uh, trying to soak up, you know, whatever we could in preparation for doing that. And um, uh, they had a little tape player and we'd bring in mixtapes and stuff and um yeah i remember Odelay especially but when that came out it was just on heavy rotation in the art department uh and yeah i think where it's at i think i said um i had the 12 inch of where it's at i had two copies of it and it had a bonus beats bit track and i would like learn to hip-hop dj with this track like looping doing the beat juggling and stuff with the where it's at uh you know sample and the the beat there so i think when i when i hear where it's at it definitely takes me back to 96 97 whenever that came out and uh yeah just that kind of i guess there was so much good hip-hop then as well and yeah and um in the UK, it had all the great Mowax and Ninja Tune stuff that we listened to a lot. And, um, yeah, still still very fond of all that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Have you had a chance to catch the um, the, the James Lavelle documentary, The Man from Mowax? I haven't, no, no. Oh, Dave, give that a watch. That's <laughs> spectacular. Yeah, really. Well, probably my, I would say it's probably my favourite music documentary ever. It's... Oh, okay. A real kind of open book on on, on Lavelle and, and Moax, and oh, it's a, it's a good watch. That I highly yeah, yeah. recommend that. I need to um, that definitely, yeah. But talking, you know, going back to school, like, um, how was that? Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yeah, I really loved it. I mean, it was obviously just. I suppose in my head, it's a just it's a bit like Grange Hill or something. It was just mental. Oh, like uh, baggy trousers by madness, you know. <laughs> that sort of sums it up. 
just nutty, but yeah, but good. You know, if you were getting bullied or in a shit mood one minute, you know, the the coin flips and you're having a great laugh the next kind of thing. Like nothing really stuck around too long. So if it was crap, you know, one hour, it was great the next, and that went on like that all day for me. Just mad, you know, just hilarity as well. Just you know, I don't think I've ever laughed so much as at school. Um, Did you know what you wanted to be? I just wanted to do art and music, really. Um, I didn't know how, but I, I just uh, I just sort of honed in on that and ignored everything else, uh, which the school didn't like very much. You know, they wanted me. They wanted rid of me a bit because I was just hanging around the art, art and music department all the time. You know, we 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 formed bands and did like Stone Roses covers at school discos, and uh, it was great. Was you, I mean, were you confident? Uh, within my little gang, yeah, but no, not not within the school. No, nah. within my little gang, we'd had our own in jokes and all that. You, you you touched on something earlier that I wanted to pick up when you were saying about um, the the bonus track on the, where it's at 12 and, you know, you, you, you sort of try and work out how to hip-hop DJ on it and things like that. Would, was your kind of interest in music, even at like that age, was you sort of dissecting music and working out how it was put together and also sort of looking for breaks and loops and, and samples and stuff, even at, you know, in kind of more formative years? Massively, yeah. Even when I got... Uh nicked Sergeant Pepper out of my dad's record collection. I was just obsessed with that drum break on the Sergeant Pepper track. You know, there's a little drum loop there. Uh, and I would just like play it over and over and over again. Um, that one bit. So I knew that rhythm and beats and stuff was definitely my thing. And, uh, yeah, I remember getting public enemy, um, Fear of a Black Planet on tape, and um, when that came out, dragging my mum to our price to get it because it'd been on a skateboard video or something, one of the tracks. And um, I just remember being really mind blown by the production. I didn't know what production was, or you know, and it's, there's there's one bit on one of the tracks where it's like a Jimi Hendrix guitar solo looped. And in my head, Public Enemy had a, a guy playing that loop over and over again in the studio, yeah. you know, like, perfectly. Uh, and, uh, I didn't quite know because I didn't understand sampling and stuff. But, yeah, I remember just lying in bed with my headphones on, listening to Fear of a Black Planet and dissecting the layers and being obsessed with how they did it. And it just seemed like alchemy to me, like, it just seemed like how how on earth how on earth did they do it? You know, well that all right. that bomb, bomb squad production stuff was, but weirdly kind of similar to the Beatles. You know, I would weirdly there's a sort of parallel between bomb squad production and something like Strawberry Fields because mm. it's drum heavy. It's got tape loops. It's about textures and layers. And that's that's all the things I was really into. So obviously hip hop was just perfect for me, you know. Yeah. Had all that going on in it. So um, yeah, it was. I remember my brother having a, an emu sampler and like showing me how that worked, and that and that kind of blew in my mind and that sort of taking that, you know, the beat juggling thing to the next level of sampling things on a mid board. Yeah, it was exciting times really. And I guess it was before computers really, like no one had a computer unless you had an Apple or an Atari or yeah. an Amiga. Some people were making, um, I remember there was a band in Dundee called Void Camp that were making Electro and I think they did all that on an Amiga. Yeah. Uh, but that, in a way, that was great because you didn't see the screen, so you weren't bogged down by that. You were just listening and using four tracks and stuff. But, but yeah, basically, 
uh, it goes back a long way, that kind of obsession of how records are put together. Yeah. For track four, I'm going to ask you the first record you remember buying from a record store. So we've, we've, we've spoke Beatles, Beasties, Public Enemy and Beck. This one shouldn't be very cool, I hope. It's not cool at all. It's, uh, <laughs> it's um, Bart Simpson do the Bartman. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just being a kid, being obsessed with the Simpsons. And um, I remember like kids would come into school and that had Sky TV, which was mind blowing that, you know, someone had Sky TV and you, they were like, oh, there's this cartoon, The Simpsons. And it's really funny and it's not like a cartoon it's like for adults and I was so intrigued and sooner or later we sort of became a bit obsessed with it and um yeah do the Bartman came out and um I don't know what age I was like nine or something eight or nine and I just loved it and I knew all the lyrics and uh I remember my neighbour's mum going over, taking us over to Woolworths and they had all the singles up behind the counter and getting Do the Bartman on 7-inch and just that day just playing it over and over and over again. And me and my mates just rapping along to it. I mean, brilliant. Just loved it. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. Just like, we would just, I was guess it was seven inch singles at the time. You would just get what was cool that week, you know, in the charts. Mm. So I had all these mad seven inch singles that like me and my brother, it was so, you know, you'd have like Starship, the final countdown and um, all these cheesy eighties records. And, and then, you know, you might have a cool one, like Mars pump up the volume or, yeah. Because it was all, always about what the big brothers and sisters were in, uh, in the town as well, wasn't it? So Always. You might, you know, discover De La Soul or something that's edgy. Yeah. And then, or they might take the piss out you having do the Bartman and you're like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you realise that that, was, that wasn't a great choice. <laughs> so aside from, like, older brothers' records and that, like, growing up, like, was there records on at home? Did your folks have records on? Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of, like, folk records uh, and that kind of new wave, 70s folk, um, Pentangle and stuff like that. Uh, tons of Beatles, hence sort of being a Beatles obsessive back then, Pink Floyd. Um, yeah. Bit of an eclectic mix, and uh, yeah, we would definitely go and pillage things, you know, because it wasn't often that you'd get to buy a an album or whatever. So you'd have to make do with what was kicking about, really. So you'd yeah. get really into Pink Floyd or whatever was on the shelf, you know. And, and in regards to record shops, like um, I, I guess you know as you got older and, and, and certainly as a, you know, as an independent, you know, band as well, how important a, a record shop's been for you? Massive. I mean, just obsessed. There was a, there was a few good record shops in Dundee. Uh, there was, a, there was two dance specialists, uh, 23rd Precinct and Equinox, um, where you could go and get like brand new jungle dub plates or whatever. Uh, a bit of a kind of black market records vibe where you had to battle your way to the front of the <laughs> shop. And uh, yeah, we were quite into like industrial techno and stuff for a while. So we'd be buying like Lenny D and that, yeah, just brilliant. And then there was one called Groucho's that was more secondhand stuff and uh albums and stuff like that so yeah most of my saturday was spent in record shops going between record shops um you still gravitate towards them when you're on on tour if there's uh you know once you've uh, done your sound check you're gonna find a record shop 
massively straight away. And especially in America, because every town or small city has a ton of record shops and they're just killer as well. You know, you'll come back with stuff that you're, you've never even, you never knew existed or isn't even on Discogs or, you know, just mad stuff out there. So I usually try and take an empty suitcase when I go to tour America and then come back with a ton of stuff. But, um, yeah, still a massive deal to me. And, and just, I, I guess just seeing it as part of the job as well, because so much of our music is based around sampling that you're always looking for the next thing. Of course. Yeah. For track five, I'm going to ask you, Dave, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. I think I said a few. Um, I think I said The Prodigy, No Good, mm-hmm. uh, Force Mass Motion Panic, mm-hmm. and Zero B, The Lockup. You did. Uh, they just were the first things that came into my head. I remember. I remember um, Zero B, The Lockup being a massive record with me and my mates and um it was that thing about it being it was our sort of segue into house music which when you're into rave and hardcore and and industrial techno and stuff house music seems like it seemed to us like a bit boring or something yeah (laughs) you know um I didn't quite get it. I just wanted everything really fast and squeaky, you know, mm. <laughs> when it was in hardcore. And um, uh, I think Zero Be The Lockup was our segue and a kind of, I mean, listening to it now, it's still way faster than house music had to play probably. But it, it sort of got me into it. It was my gateway into like Strictly Rhythm and stuff like that. Because uh, I think in the record shop, in 23rd Precinct, they were a bit like, well, if you like that, you might like this, you know. Yeah, yeah. And getting me to buy stuff that, because they didn't really like me coming in demanding to play Lenny D records on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> These were like old soul boys that were into like really good house music mm. and DJing at the Rumba Club and stuff. And um, the last thing they want to hear is do, 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 some Gabba record. <laughs> <laughs> so they started saying, well, how about this? You know, and I remember them selling me Armin van Helden, The Witch Doctor, because it was very drum heavy and, I was like, yeah, wow, I can I can get in the house. Anyway, blabbing on, but um that was that record. Force Mass Motion, The Panic, that was on a great label called Rabbit City Records that um did kind of faster techno and stuff, but um that record Panic was played by all the DJs in Scotland at the time it just summed up that bouncy Scottish techno that people loved at the time in 1993. Um, um, And then the Prodigy, no good, I guess it just, the Prodigy were really my main gateway into rave music when, when Prodigy Experience came out. I think at the time I was really into Ned's Atomic Dustbin and Nirvana and stuff. And then my eyes were open to, to rave music and rave culture through the prodigy. Yeah. It's, I think it's like, it should definitely be, you know, never overlooked that at that point, when you look at, I mean, I, I was DJing in, you know, in clubs playing Nirvana and Ned's Atomic Dustbin there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there wasn't huge amounts of electronic music being played in them clubs because there was such an explosion of guitar music in, you know, in the early nineties, there was 
very little. You know, you'd still get Depeche Mode and some of the sort of Nitzareb and industrial stuff would still make it through the, you know, the, 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 the onto the dance floor. But it felt quite divided from from what was going on on Pirate Radio and 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 and, and you know and the, and the rave clubs, especially in Essex, because Essex obviously home of the prodigy as well, and the M25 raves, you know, that were going on around where we lived were, were phenomenal. Uh-huh. But when Prodigy dropped Experience, and I, I guess it was probably, you know, maybe not so much Charlie, but when Out of Space dropped and wind it up, they were being played in rock clubs. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was like, oh, hang on a minute, like, it's all right to like this one. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was yeah. quite strange that then obviously that that obviously then went on to to you know Chemical Brothers and Utah Saints and Underworld and things like that was that all sort of you know merged the indie clubs into some becoming something way more interesting. But it was definitely out of space was that record that kind of brought the rave to the rock. And, totally. And then I think I love talking about Apology because they're our homegrown heroes and they're fucking incredible. Um, yes. But then to look at what they then done to then take the rave to fucking rock festivals, mm-hmm. you know, metal festivals, and it's like, yeah. and they deliver something equally as hard as what System of a Dan or the Deftones can do. And it's, mm-hmm. I just think they're just, yeah, absolutely just a, a vital, a vital band for me. And, and, and I think they've just, the impact that they've had on, you know, what they've done for electronic music. It should never be overlooked. Oh, massive. And it was exactly the same for me where you had to be into Nirvana uh, and Ned's Atomic Dustbin and stuff. Um, and then when the Prodigy, when when Prodigy, Prodigy Experience came out, yeah, it was definitely like accepted by all those people and skaters and stuff that up, up until then saw Rave as something nasty. You know, suddenly yeah. it was part of that and it was cool, yeah. you know. It's twice you've mentioned skaters and, and, and skate videos, uh, which is something that really interests me because some of the skate videos that got handed around on VHS when I was at school and college, they were key places to find out about new bands. Was that the case for you? Massively, yeah. Um, and going back to talking about the public enemy fear of a black planet it was at a, it was a, a skate video called attack and it was this weird uh collage because i loved all the art between the between the skating clips because they were quite creative with all that mm. and it was this weird like laughing clown or something in this video and it had a beat and i remember saying to my mate I wonder what that music is and he said, it's Public Enemy. And uh, so, yeah, that's why I went and got... And in fact, it wasn't Public Enemy, it was Bomb the Bass. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he was close enough. But yeah, yeah that, that, that's how... Because obviously there was no internet or yeah. Shazam or whatever. Everything was so word of mouth. Yeah. I remember seeing De La Soul graffitied on my street on a bin and was like, that's cool. Yeah, you know, finding out what De La Soul was. Yeah, <laughs> you just think, how did you find out about music? I guess there was magazines and stuff, but it was very word of mouth, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I didn't know I never sprayed Ned's atomic dustbin on a dustbin. That would have been way cool. Uh, <laughs> well, I had the logo painted with Tipex on my school bag. I think I like the. the the logo more than the band actually to be honest but what was that like the, the godfather one in the, the yeah it was like of, a so, slime yeah wheel thing i think yeah the atomic sign uh great name for a band man really good but uh, i guess you know already there was dance beats coming in in indie records wasn't there you know there was the Manchester thing and all that mm. so whether you knew it or not these guys were influenced by Mantronic, so you know, uh, American hip hop and dance music, and then the Prodigy just kind of sealed the deal, didn't they? They just kicked the door so. on that record. Because obviously, you know, going back a few years before that, you know, all the Weverall remixes and the Terry Farley remixes were all being rinsed in the indie clubs, of course. Right, and I yeah. guess 
maybe I'm overlooking bands like 808 State as well that were, you know, that the whole Manchester scene did throw a lot of stuff like like that into the indie clubs as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and oh, you just throw a bit of Curtis Mantronics production on anything. Oh my God. Like yeah. That. What yeah. a man. Uh, track six, let's take you home. A favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah, well, I picked the Beta Band, obviously, because what I, you know, I, I think growing up having a, a brother in a, in in a band was like such a, a blessing, you know, because I got yeah. to see the kind of inner workings of the music industry and how you put a record together. Uh, I got to see their kind of DIY aesthetic, which made me confident that I could go and make an album. Um, Yeah. And um, the, the tracks I picked from them, I think are to you alone and push it out. Yeah. Um, to You Alone was a, was like a standalone single that's still one of my favourite tracks they did. And Push It Out from the three EPs, and I remember he would give me tapes of their demo sessions and um, see what do you think? And I remember hearing Push It Out and going back and going, Push It Out is amazing. Uh, and he was like, oh, right, yeah. He hadn't really got into it, but you know, just getting those tapes, demo tapes and stuff was so exciting. That's so cool. Um, and yeah, and just, you know, we'd me and him had been sort of DJing, learning how to DJ and record collecting for a long time before that. Um, so f- it was just kind of the next thing to do, really. Yeah. Was, was start a band and get into... And more than that, like start getting into production, I think. And mm. how can you take messing around with making hip hop loops and stuff at home to uh, turn, you know, start working with songwriters and turn them into songs? And, you know, seeing that process definitely was, was so exciting. Because going back to talking about hip hop and the Beatles and stuff, it was like that for me. It was like, taking loops and then just putting this great song over the top was like quite a buzz. Um, Yeah. So that that's, was definitely a huge influential time for me when that, when all that started. I I asked you about confidence earlier and, and, and then, you know, you, 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 you were blessed with such an opportunity to get an insight into, as you said, the, the, the industry and, 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 and what the, you know the bear band are doing, but make no mistake, it's still a very difficult industry to to have the success that you've had. You know that's 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 not easy an easy thing to do. Are you driven as a human? Yeah, definitely driven and confident with music. Just because I've got a lot of ideas and my my, my like I find old sketchbooks and stuff now that have song ideas from when I was at school. And I'm still sort of trying to finish them. And that's like from 1996 or something. <laughs> so I'm confident that I've got all the ideas. Um, I procrastinate a lot, and that's why I've got ideas from 1996 still around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm confident that those ideas could be good or that, they should exist in the world. I think yeah. if I didn't have the ideas and I was just forcing it, I would be lost a bit. But yeah, I think when you have an idea, when it pops in your head, you do have a drive to to get it out into the world or it'll just kind of nag away at you. And maybe yeah. that's it more. I'm just, I don't like things nagging away at me. I'd rather get yeah. them out and people go, oh my God, this is terrible, than never get them out. Absolutely. We get to DJ now. Uh, for track seven, uh, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Many may not know. Oh, many may not know that that I like, was it? Yeah. 
like a I think I put a guilty pleasure. You did. Pussycat dolls, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I a tune, like mate. It. I don't know. It's just I just like it. It's just something yeah. about the production and the trumpets, the sort of trumpet sample. I think if you took away all the singing, that din 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 is just great. Um, yeah. And I think that's something about pop music that people don't give enough credit to producers that make these kind of records, that there's quite a lot of experimentation and weird stuff going on in a lot of them. Yeah. And I don't just mean like the obvious stuff like Neptunes, who obviously nailed it, you know, doing the, the perfect weird hip-hop pop records. Mm. But there's something in a lot of songs I hear on the radio that, you know, just I'm listening back to the Spice Girls stuff and I'm like, ah, oh, that's good what they did there. And at the mm. time I just hated it. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of cool stuff going on in there. And that's because I guess the producers knew what they were doing. Maybe yeah, they're from a, from a hip hop DJ background. You never know, you know, who yeah. these guys are. But um, also, I think the that Pussycat Dolls sort of reminds me of nights out in Dundee, going to like really cheesy clubs and having yeah. a great night, you know. Because I guess a lot of the nights out we had back then weren't just. I mean, Dundee was great for. I could go and see. DJ Cam or, uh, you know, or Jerry the Damager might be in town. Or the, uh, everybody went through there and, and did gigs in the 90s. But also there was a lot of just high street um, cheesy clubs that we yeah, decided to go to instead because it was a really good laugh. Yeah. And uh, you'd see more of your mates from school there, really. Yeah. Um. And sometimes just had a better night at these kind of clubs. And um, yeah, I remember that just always being on and dancing around with your mates from school, having fun. Well, um, Dave, you put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany uh, this episode. So that'll have all the, the tunes on there that you chose and some of the other ones that we spoke about as well. Um, as we find ourselves coming to the end of a, a very bonkers year, um, what are you looking forward to uh, for the rest of this year and, and, and next year? And what have you, what are you doing professionally as well? Uh, I think I'm looking forward to getting back up to Scotland and managing to see family and stuff. Cause it's, I guess for a lot of people, you spending time with family has been so tricky this year. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to getting, having the time to get ideas as I say, that have been kicking around since, since school. Yeah. Uh, those kind of things finally out. And, uh, you know, I did my own solo thing this year under the Hugo Paris alias, um, which was a house record with uh, a Roland Clark vocal. And that stuff like that, I just, I've wanted to do for about 15 years and, yeah. and, and just never, well, especially since, we put out the first Django single. It was just like a a bit of a mad time, so never really. And that, as I was saying earlier, that is the good thing about the, all the lockdowns and all that for me is that time to stop and reflect and do things that you've been putting off for a long time. So doing more of that and just and then, as I say, just getting back out with with Django Django to play festivals which we're all missing very badly absolutely absolutely Dave it's been a real pleasure talking records with you and uh, best of luck with uh, with what you've got coming up and uh, yeah it's been a real pleasure thank you very much wicked Ace thank you very much thanks for having me there you go great chat got to talk about all of my favourite bands on there as well everyone likes to hear about Chuck D, you know, Fatboy Slim, De La Soul, uh, Beck, just some wonderful bands um, chosen there by Dave. Um, go and check out New Django Music. Go check out New Django Music, even. Let's, uh, it's easy for me to say. Um, go and check them out. 
um, get behind them. And yeah, and thank you. Just thank you for listening. And I mentioned it at the beginning, just really appreciate it because um, I'm having loads of fun recording these pod chats with, you know, people that I'm completely in awe of. And uh, yeah, learning slowly how to control my, my fanboy when uh, I get to sit in front of these kind of creative geniuses that, that you know, blow my mind. I'm done. On to the next episode. Um, go and subscribe and, uh, and go and have a look in the archives if this is your first time listening and, uh, and go and see which other chats you're interested in having listened to. Thanks for listening to this one. Thanks again to Dave, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk Do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.